Welcome to the Plant Witch Podcast, where we enter together into the web of life in all of its many seen and unseen dimensions. I'm Erin Schrader, owner of the Rebel Herbalist, and it is my honor to hold this portal to the other world. Let's enter, shall we? For a few years, I worked with a Zen teacher. She was a suicide survivor who was desperate to find a way to live with a mind that wanted to torture her endlessly. And so she became a student of Zen and later a teacher of Zen. What she discovered through her healing process was a constellation of voices that she called egoic karmic conditioning and self-hate, which were a lot of words to mean there's a constellation of voices inside our minds that is part the conditioning of others to make us well-behaved and conformed to our community and part destructive self-loathing. So sort of this inner judge, jury, and executioner whose job is to constantly be vigilant of all of our behaviors, all of our thoughts, and to keep us in this loop of sabotage so that we never take any real risks. This constellation of voices is working against the evolution of our spirit, the expression of our soul. It's part of the function of the veil of forgetting that keeps us from remembering our origins before this lifetime, our goals for incarnation. And in our world today, this constellation of voices has run amok. It has always existed, but in wise societies, there have been many communal practices for keeping this constellation of voices in check, keeping them from becoming so toxic and so sabotaging that they lead to termination of a life or acting out in ways of like homicide or violence. My teacher told me that if these voices go unchecked, the trajectory is the same. They convince us over and over again that we are unloved, unworthy, alienated, hated by everyone who purports to love us. And so we slowly cut people out of our lives, believing the voices that would tell us all of these horrible stories about ourselves. And so we see body language or 
slights that are exaggerated and this constellation of voices convinces us that they're evidence of our unworthiness and so to avoid the pain and suffering that we experience by being shown how horrible we are we slowly start to cut people out of our lives we go less places we achieve less things we have less friendships and the end trajectory is isolation where we have fully convinced ourselves that the world is the enemy that there is no one who truly loves us no one that truly understands us and we're left with just ourselves alone with the voices that then finish the job of convincing us that we are worthless sort of a nihilistic uh, view of the world and one I've seen play out many times with many people so what is the counter what is the antidote what is the path to healing from this running software installed in the human mind that would lead to destruction and the Zen teacher taught us that loving awareness mindfulness combined with compassion was the antidote and both of those things wedded to action that if we could love ourselves and act in loving ways and service in the world that that would keep the voices at bay we wouldn't be susceptible to their stories because we would have too much evidence to the contrary too many loving relationships too many acts of kindness to possibly believe what the voices are telling us this constellation of voices what she called egoic karmic conditioning and self-hate have also been called Satan demons possession we have been struggling with this propensity inside of us always and it's one of the greatest sources of interest in my life as I've watched this process claim the lives of people I loved when they could not feel our love but believed these voices in their minds instead how could I have helped them how could I have done something different my teacher would tell us that it's an inside job that we can love people and show up for them and try to hold the light for them and at the end of the day it's between themselves and this process at work inside themselves and that we can't blame ourselves for failing them and I know that's true and that our work is to do that work inside ourselves and to then spread the loving kindness and loving awareness that we cultivate within ourselves everywhere we go in the world while I'm talking about this I can feel a little shield over my heart a little hitch or a catch 
And it's because this feels oversimplified to me. I really appreciated the package she put this in to help me learn. And then at some point I had to leave the teacher because something wasn't whole in the teaching for me. Of course, there is always merit in simplification. Religions simplify this process. Educational systems simplify this process. Family systems simplify this. Just be a good person. Just be a good girl. Just be kind and loving. Just don't listen to those voices. Just stay busy. I was hearing those same kinds of voices from my Zen teacher. And it just missed something for me. There was a mark that was missed for me. This program was built into us for a reason. This karmic conditioning, this self-loathing. Maybe she was right and it was a counterpoint to the expansive radiance of our souls, something that acted as a sort of anchor But that just didn't feel totally right to me. What was missing? I left this Zen teacher probably about seven years ago now. And what I realized was for me, I had to put on a different mind. I could not stay working only in the mind of a human because the mind of the human is so limited. For me, I had to go put on the mind of the forest. I had to let myself think like mycorrhiza, like maple roots reaching toward her saplings across the forest. I had to think like a river and like passing clouds because this mind that is human is more than human we have come up out of this ecology we were mountains before we were mammals we were sea creatures before we knew gravity And so for my particular journey, just bouncing around in the mind of a human would never lead me where I needed to go. I had to put the human mind aside, or more truthfully, I had to put the human mind within a greater context, within the spinning movement of the planets, within the weather systems that sweep across the face of the earth within the story of the migration of the geese and the butterflies putting my mind within these stories orients me to what is real how can I be trapped in self-loathing How can I believe that everyone in the world hates me 
when I know about the shuttling of starches between trees through the fungal network of the forest floor. How could that be true when I look out into a world that is so communal, that is so filled with interwoven care? That is the nature of this reality. That is the truth of being here. The sands and salts of the African subcontinent belong also to the Amazon rainforest, and the winds across the Atlantic make sure they find their way home. How could I be despairing when I know that truth? The human mind has deluded itself into its grandness. And yes, there are wonderful things about the human mind. And there are terrible things about the human mind. But the human heart, the human heart is not trapped in those stories. The human heart understands the interwovenness of all things. It is always feeling, always connected, always emitting a signal of truth that can be received by other hearts close by. The heart speaks in electromagnetic waves, by rhythms and pulses, by coherent or incoherent signals. The heart is the wild animal that lives in the cage of our chests, always sensing, always emitting, always reading the room, always keeping the tempo. The mind has its own free will. but the heart is obedient to what is real. The heart is what responds to a beautiful sunrise. The heart is what responds to the scent of a newborn. The heart is what makes us open our arms and reach. And for those people whom I've loved and whom I've lost to the tyranny of the mind, I just wish they could have let their hearts be open to feel the truth, the truth that they belong here, the truth that they're part of something so much bigger than they can imagine, the truth that when they're sitting near someone they love, their heartbeat entrains with the heartbeat of the other, 
the mind tyrant would tell us all sorts of things that are not true and have lots of evidence to support these untruths. Learning to thrive here on this planet involves dropping down into the heart where real truth is. And one of the best ways to do that is through finding our connection to all that is larger than us and finding our gratitude for that belonging. On days when I have a hard time finding myself, finding what's true, I drive up to the mountain up the road from our house. It's called Skytop, and from there I can see how small everything is, how small I am, how small my troubles are, how ancient this story is, how this valley beneath us was carved by water and glaciers, and that my life is just a little blink in this story that is so ancient. And from that place, my heart remembers what is real. It is always true that the more we isolate ourselves, the more the tyrant of the mind grows in power. That is always true, unless we are removing ourselves from humans in order to knit ourselves to a wider community of more than human beings. Like the hermits and the sages and the mystics who wove themselves into the stories of the archetypal energies that create this universe. That's a different kind of belonging that is not based in isolation, but vastness. But if we are following the urge to cut people out of our life, left and right, and we believe that there's this deep flaw within us that everyone can see but us, and so we have to be alone to protect ourselves from certain betrayal, this is the tyrant of the mind who is lying to us. Look for the signs that the tyrant has grown in power. The signs are othering. Our urge to other people around us being filled with judgment and defensiveness and then turning that same judgment and defensiveness against ourselves. Feeling constantly paranoid, like we're never good enough. Seeing the enemy everywhere. 
These are signs that the tyrant has gotten too powerful. And we need to knit ourselves back into the heart of belonging. Who do you belong to? What do you belong to? These are decisions that we make. I belong to the Appalachian Mountains. I belong to the Pennsylvania Dutch people. I belong to the Druids. I belong to my children. I belong to the turkey tail mushroom. And now that I'm in midlife, I belong to my future generations. More and more I'm thinking about what it means to be a good ancestor as I look at the picture of my great-great-grandmother that sits on my dresser and watches over me. How do I become an ancestor like that? What decisions do I need to make now so that I can belong to my great-great-grandchildren? These are the conversations we have in the heart space. The mind is useful to categorize and organize information. It is useful to solve problems. It is useful to comprehend large and abstract ideas. There are so many ways that the mind is useful. And there are so many ways that the mind is dangerous. It reminds me of a power tool. To me, the mind is the equivalent of a power tool. Incredibly powerful and useful and incredibly destructive when mishandled or not handled with great care. And for some of us, our minds are always dangerous. And we may need help stabilizing them with medications, with therapy, and that is nothing to be ashamed of. We are going into the winter season here in the Northern Hemisphere. And this is a time where natural isolation tends to happen. And where the mind has lots of evidence to present to us about our failings. Keep the mind busy and keep the heart open. That's the way we get through these winter months together. Our ancestors made crafts in the winter. They spun and wove and whittled and they gathered in small communities to tell stories to sing songs, to reenact stories as plays. May we find ways to belong to each other this winter.
and to keep the tyrant of the mind in its rightful place. Thank you for joining me and it's time to come back to